Hello, and welcome to the Seven Sage Podcast. I'm JY Ping, and on today's episode, I speak with Seven Sage tutor Claire, who scored a 179 on her June 2021 LSAT. Claire and I talk about her prep and law school applications. She's also got some advice for you on how to manage nerves leading up to your official LSAT. So without further ado, please enjoy. I have Seven Sage tutor Claire here with me. Claire, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, same. Why don't we start with you telling us a bit about yourself? Where are you from? Where did you go to school? Yeah, absolutely. So I am born and raised in New Jersey, North Jersey, about 30 minutes outside of New York City. I went to college at Bates College, which is a very small liberal arts school in Maine. Lots of people have never heard of it when I tell them that. They typically say things like Bates Motel. So um, <laughs> so I was in Maine for four years for college. And then kind of the whole time, I always had law school kind of on the back burner as you know something I thought I might end up doing. But both my parents were attorneys, so I kind of wanted to go as far in the opposite direction as I could. But I ended up working on political campaigns and doing political research out of college. My first few jobs out of college were all in politics. But the nature of political campaign work is that it's cyclical. And so it ends and starts every few months. And so you're unemployed every few months and job hunting. During the pandemic, I was unemployed after the 2020 cycle from January till April, basically. And because it was the pandemic, I couldn't do all the normal post-campaign things like traveling and seeing friends. So I decided to start studying for the LSAT because I had, frankly, nothing better to do and kind of fell in love with the test, for lack of a better word. I just really enjoyed studying for it and kind of became fascinated with how the test works and kind of sort of obsessed with getting my score up as high as I could. Once I realized how much I enjoyed the LSAT, I kind of started to seriously consider law school and law as a career. That's kind of when I made the decision to take my studying really seriously and apply for the next cycle. Yeah, I, I, I want to talk more about um, how you fell in love with the, with the LSAT. Um, what, what score did you, did you take a diagnostic when you first started studying? Yeah, so I took a diagnostic on Khan Academy, and my initial diagnostic score was a 164, which I didn't really, I mean, I had never looked at the test before that. I really didn't know anything about kind of what scores were high, what scores were low, but I felt pretty good about coming out with a diagnostic of 164. That's really good as a diagnostic score, yeah. Yeah, and I had heard like 170 is kind of, you know, a good score is above 170, which obviously now like I know that's a lot more nuanced and it's so dependent on what school you want to go to, what your goals are, but at the time that was kind of what I had heard. So yeah, I was really excited with my 164 diagnostic. Do you remember which sections you did the best and worst on? Yeah, so logical reasoning has always come pretty easily to me, so I think that that was my strongest section in my diagnostic. I think similar to most people, logic games was by far my worst section just because I didn't know how to answer the questions and didn't know how to diagram at all. And I can't really remember how I did on reading comp. I think that I did worse than I was expecting because I had like in standardized tests growing up, that had always been my strongest section. And I kind of thought it would be the most, I guess, intuitive, right? Like it's just reading. So I figured I could do that pretty easily. And I was shocked at how hard the reading comprehension section was. Yeah, a lot of it is is inference based. Right. But with your studies, did you then primarily just focus on uh, logic games and reading comp, right? I, I would guess. 
Um, yeah, so I honestly can't remember how much time I spent on each section kind of as I was studying. I know right at the beginning, I really focused on games just because I knew that that was probably the easiest place for me to increase my score. Because I was studying, I was so lucky to be studying during a time when that was all I was doing. Like I was, you know, studying for full days. It meant that I could... When was this roughly? It was January to April 2020. Excuse me, 2021. Oh, okay. So about, yeah, about a year ago. It's, it's January as we're speaking now of 2022. So you've studied altogether about three, four months? So that was my initial study period. And then I took the April LSAT. And I'm sure we'll go into this, but I had some pretty significant tech issues. And so I really underperformed where I had been PTing. But then in April, I started my new job. And so I couldn't really like dedicate as much time to it as I had been before the April test. But I went into the April test feeling like I was PTing at a place where I would be really happy with my score if everything went according to plan. Between April and June, when I retook, I didn't really do a whole lot of content-based studying or trying to improve my score a whole lot. I was just kind of trying to stay fresh and make sure that I that everything was kind of up to date in my mind. So I was basically doing one PT a week and kind of nothing else. Gotcha. What did you get on your April LSAT and what did you get on your final LSAT? Yeah, so I got a 168 on my April LSAT, and then I got a 179 on my June LSAT. Okay, that's a big, big jump. 11 points between the two. Yeah, it was a really big jump, but the 168 was pretty far below where I had been PTing. You know, by the time I took the April LSAT, my PTs were consistently 175 or above. I felt confident that if I didn't have any of those like tech issues, I would be able to improve my score a lot in a pretty short period of time. Which is why you took it, what, a month? Less than two months after, right? The, the April, I, f- I forget what date the April and June administrations were, but yeah, um, at most two, two months, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so w- what kind of tech issues and w- <laughs> what happened there? Yeah, I mean, it was that kind of thing that you read about on Reddit and dread the week before the test, which if I can give one piece of advice to LSAT takers, it is stay off Reddit for like a full month before you take the test. Maybe stay (laughs) off Reddit forever, but especially right before you take the test. There were a lot of issues. The first was I was taking it from my mom's house in New Jersey, which is like in the woods and our Wi-Fi is terrible. And so I kind of had been fluctuating back and forth between deciding whether or not I wanted to use the LSAT reimbursement to like get a hotel room or something and take it from there. But I was worried that that Wi-Fi also wouldn't be consistent. So I tried to mitigate the risk and do as much as I could. I got an Ethernet cable and all that kind of stuff. I was like all set and ready to take the test. And then during the sign-on period, when I had to do all the things with the proctor, my Wi-Fi just kept cutting out. And I think I disconnected three or four times before the test even started because I was having so many issues with it from my room, which is where I had been planning on taking the test. I ended up just deciding to scurry downstairs with my computer and take it from a room downstairs where I thought the Wi-Fi might be better. I was just really flustered going in and I ended up starting the test, I think, an hour and a half or two hours after I was initially supposed to take it. Oh, man. So... Yeah, that already just kind of I had, you know, I'd planned out like my water intake and my nutrition strategy and all that kind of stuff because I'm one of those very neurotic people. And so um, right. And so, you know, like I was just kind of all flustered and and kind of anxious going into it. And then I think games was my first section and I kind of settled in and then reading comp was my second section and my Wi-Fi cut out halfway through the test and I got booted out again in the middle of reading comp. 
Yeah. And I was out of the test for maybe 20 minutes while they were like fixing it and getting me back in. And I think reading comp might be the worst section for that to happen on because you just completely forget the passage you're reading, right? Like I had to go back and reread and every single minute counts in that in reading comp. So I think all of those things combined, like the anxiety of knowing that just from the get go, it wasn't going very well. And then having that like additional stress in the middle of the test, losing some time just really contributed to my score underperforming. I knew that it wasn't going to be what I was expecting it to be or hoping for it to be. And I considered canceling my score because I bought the first time test taker score cancel. But I ultimately decided that even though it was underperforming where I had been testing, it wasn't a low enough score. I mean, it was a great score. And so I felt like even if it was on my record, there was a chance that that could happen the next time I took it and my score was even lower. And at 168 was still a score that I was really happy with and I knew would get me into some great schools. I felt comfortable keeping that on my record. I see. Okay, so lots of questions. They have they, they have a lot of these like new fancy features. So what's this first time test thing that you mentioned? That it sounds like you get to look at your score first and then decide if you want to keep it. Yeah. So I think to be totally honest, I think it's a way for LSAC to make more money. <laughs> they call it the first time test taker score preview, and I think you pay thirty dollars. And once you you don't get to see your score early or anything, but once you see your score, you have the option to have it not show up on your official LSAT record, which. If you don't have that feature, you have to either cancel your score before you see it. If you think something really awful happened, like you, you know, left in the middle of the test or something, you have the option to cancel it before you get your score. But once you get your score, it will be sent to every law school that you apply to. Hold on. So the only criteria for getting that feature is paying $30? And having it be the first time you take the test. So if it's like your third take, you can't. Right. Yeah, yeah. If you if it's repeated, you can't do it. But like assuming for all first time takers. If you pay $30, you get this. If you don't pay $30, you don't get this. Yep, basically. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, just like, another example of LSAC, why? you know, sucking us for every dollar. <laughs> everyone wants that. Like everyone will want to have that. Yeah, wow. exactly. It's yeah, okay. it seems like they could just give that to everyone. But yes, I mean, it's a big advantage. It's a big advantage to, to have. I mean, it just I don't know how much of a difference ultimately it, it makes, but I'm sure, you know, everything else held equal, like one LSAT score just looks cleaner on your applications. So I think it shows that you canceled it. So law schools will see that you canceled it, which arguably could be, I mean, I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about the admissions process, but my sense is that it could be worse for them to see a canceled score if your score, like, you know, my score was still a great score. So I think that if I had canceled it, they might've been like, whoa, what was her first score, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know that. And the other thing I wanted to ask, I mentioned you got booted off in the middle of your RC. Did you lose any time uh, when when you got back on? It's hard to tell. So I think that they told me that I didn't lose any time. Like my proctor said that I didn't lose any time when I got back in. And I think it's possible that I didn't lose any official time. Like they paused it and then restarted it exactly when I had started and stopped. But I lost concentration time because I had to reread the passage. And it's also not Mm -hmm. clear like when they decide you are done, when they decide that you lost connection, right? There could be some discrepancy between. Yeah. And when my proctor was she took over my screen for a second to stop the test. And so there was like, I mean, it felt like an eternity. It was probably 15 to 30 seconds where I had no control over my mouse. So I was like trying to scroll through a passage and I couldn't. And I was like, what's going on here? So I would say if I had to estimate how much time I actually lost, it would be anywhere between like two and four minutes. But I think it impacted me a lot more than just the amount of time that I lost. Yeah, of course. Then just like lopping off four minutes from the clock because it's 
it's pretty stressful to have such a huge disruption in the middle. Yeah, so you knew you could do better. And then from April to June, you mentioned you started a, a full-time job, so you didn't have as much time to study, but you still kept up with it, right, doing prep tests? Yeah, basically. I would do, I think, like one prep test a week. And at that point, I was PTing like pretty consistently in the high 170s. Every once in a while, I would have like a 173 or a 174. But for the most part, my scores were 178 to 180 in that two month period. And so I would just kind of go over the questions that I wouldn't do like a full blind review or anything, because at that point, it kind of felt like I was just wasting my time doing that. I would just go over like, you know, if I got three answers wrong in a PT, that's what I would go over. So yeah, I was just kind of keeping my brain fresh. I wasn't doing a whole lot of actual studying. Right. That, that, That makes sense. I mean, you're not missing that many questions. Right. Maybe tell us how you improved so much. I mean, I know you started pretty high at 164, but that's still, you know, to a 179. That's still more than, what is that, 15-point improvement. Yeah. So I kind of went into the process with the attitude that I wanted to see how much I could improve on my own before I decided to, you know, sign up for a class or get a tutor or anything like that. I was willing to make the investment in that kind of thing just because I knew that could be the difference between scholarship money and all that kind of stuff. So I was willing to make the investment, but I didn't want to make the investment unnecessarily. And so I kind of did like a graduated system where every couple I would like start with the cheapest prep option and then kind of every couple weeks see what else I wanted to add to my kind of (laughs) regimen of studying. So I started with Khan Academy, and I think that was really helpful for just getting me to understand kind of how the test worked. But I eventually realized like after a couple weeks that they were doing a lot of just like repeat questions and things like that. And I'd kind of already gone through all the like curriculum that they offered. And I was kind of plateauing at, I think that helped me jump from a 164 to 167, 168. I decided to get the LSAT trainer by Mike Kim. And I went through that whole book and found that to be really, really helpful in terms of understanding the structure of how arguments are made. And I really liked all the drills that they had on in that book. So I think that was really, really helpful to me. But it wasn't really helping me improve my score a whole lot. That's when I decided to get a Seven Sage subscription. And I think, I mean, full credit to you and to Seven Sage. Like, I I think that's what kind of got me from high 160s, 170 to high 170s, because it just allowed me to really target the places where I was weak. And I really appreciated that I could go and look at an explanation of every single question that I wanted. So <laughs> like, I mean, it was amazing. So like, obviously, I think a class would have been helpful. But I think because I was already scoring pretty high and really just needed kind of targeted help on specific areas, it was nice that I could really fully control what I was doing and where I was studying and which questions I was focusing on. Then between when I finished the LSAT trainer and when I took the test, I pretty much exclusively used Seven Sage. Yeah, well, uh, thank you. I appreciate very much your saying so. But I actually think that you would have been perfectly fine if all of the LSAT prep material were to disappear from from the world. You, you would have found your way up to a 179 anyway. <laughs> it probably would have taken a lot more time. Right. I was just about to say, if, if anything, like we probably just made your experience a little bit easier. <laughs> Maybe a little mm-hmm. bit a more. Lot, a lot a faster. faster. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's very cool. Maybe let's talk about your tutoring. You've been tutoring with us since December of last year. Yep been really fun so far. Yeah. How has that been? You know, kind of turning your mind around from a learning perspective to a teaching perspective. It's been really interesting. 
And honestly, I just realized I was kind of missing the LSAT. And I was in kind of a transition period between I was working on a campaign that ended. And so I was trying to figure out how to spend my time between when the campaign ended and when I started law school. And so it seemed like a great opportunity to kind of try something new and do something that I really enjoyed. And it's been really interesting for me to see how other people's kind of studying processes and studying habits and studying journeys, for lack of a better word, compared to mine. And I would say the biggest thing I'm realizing as a tutor is the immense privilege that I had to basically study full-time for three months. Being unemployed was the best thing that ever happened to me because I was able to dedicate myself wholly to studying. So the biggest thing I'm seeing with students is they want to be improving, they want to be putting in the work, but they just are having a really hard time finding the time, which makes sense, right? Like studying for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes a day is great, but it's hard to really dive into things if that's the most time you have. And so that's just really helping me to kind of put into perspective how lucky I was that that was kind of how my trajectory worked. And that's when I was studying. And I think that I would have had a much harder time had I not had that luxury of endless time to study. So yeah, it's just been interesting for me to kind of see how hard it is for people to fit that in and how that affects their studying. Right. Was there a particular section that you missed the most? Probably logical reasoning. That was just always my easiest section. And I would say I liked that each question was its own little problem to solve. And this is probably not good advice for people, but I never really got super into using like the very specific diagramming methods. Like I would use them sometimes. And I think understanding how they worked really helped me to understand the test better. But I was very much like, a, am just going to try to get through these questions as quickly as I can based on my general sense of whether the answer is right or not. And so I think that was fun for me to kind of like, when I started tutoring, like refresh that, unlock that part of my brain that just kind of moved through these questions really quickly. You're talking about like the LR questions that are more formal logic dependent. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, that, that may, I've heard from many high scorers that it's just intuitive, right? You just kind of read the stimulus. You, you can get a feel for like which answers are right and which answers are wrong without having to explicitly extract the formal logic out of the English text. Yeah, exactly. But it also does make me realize how much knowing that formal logic became ingrained in me because I think that if I didn't, if I hadn't practiced all of that and practiced the diagramming and everything like that, it wouldn't come as quickly and come as naturally, even if I'm not using it when I'm actually answering questions. Right. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, when I take new LR sections, I don't map out the set of questions that's amenable to mapping out into formal logic is larger than the set of questions that I actually map out and far larger. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it, it comes with like that intuition. Like I think everybody's on a spectrum in that sense. Like that intuition just builds the more and more you practice, the more and more you practice with formal logic and mapping out the premises to figure out like, okay, what is implied here? And then the more you do that, you start to realize, okay, some of this stuff, you just do it so many times that you don't need to do it anymore explicitly. You can just read the premises and realize, okay, if these premises are true, then naturally, you know, something else follows. But that's what we're trying to, what we're trying to train up for. Right. You've sent in your applications now. You're just kind of waiting for schools to hear back, right? Yeah, I would say I'm like mid-cycle. Mid-cycle? Okay. Like how many schools did you apply to? I applied to 10 schools. My list was initially larger. I think I had like 13 or 14 schools on my initial list. And there were a couple schools that I really liked as schools, but 
for various like geographic reasons or whatever, I kind of kept them on my might apply, might not apply. And so I applied to most of my schools in, I would say, early to mid-October. And I kind of decided that I would hold off on these schools that I was considering but wasn't sure about until like November, December, and I could reevaluate if I was hearing from schools. By that time, I had already heard from a couple schools I was really excited about. So I just decided to keep my list at 10 and leave it there. Which ones did you hear back from? So I've heard back from most of my schools at this point. I'm only waiting on Columbia and U Chicago. I mean, I've had like the most unbelievably lucky cycle so far. And I say lucky because I really do think that 80% of it is luck. But so far, I've been accepted at Fordham, BU, UVA, Georgetown, NYU, Cornell, and then Harvard and Yale, which I am just like over the moon, unbelievably excited about. So I've had an amazing cycle and I fully acknowledge how lucky I am. That is amazing. And you're just waiting on Columbia and U Chicago, right? Yep, exactly. Okay, great. Do you have a sense of which school is, is uh, you're going to end up at or too soon? I'm kind of deciding. So I heard, I actually heard back from Harvard yesterday. Today is January 11th. So yesterday was like the big Harvard January 10th (laughs) wave. So I'm still kind of like processing that that is kind of in my options now. So I would say, I think it's, we'll see how all of the money and financial aid and how I can pay for it shakes out. But I would say I will probably end up at either Harvard or Yale, but I'm going to have to visit both and see which one kind of fits better. That makes sense. The Yale numbers don't lie. Those are the two schools with with the highest yields. I know, especially at Yale. I mean, the yield at Yale is like close to 90%. I I know, right? It's, yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, which makes me feel like once I visit, there will be a reason that that yield is so high and it'll be hard to say no to, but we'll see. That's awesome. That's so exciting. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm unbelievably excited. Let's switch gears a bit. And Claire, I'd love for you to put on your tutoring slash coaching hat. One of the most common questions we get from students is, you know, LSAT's coming up. I'm feeling nervous, anxious, which I do. So can you talk to us a bit about what you did the week before the test to manage your own nerves or anxiety? I'll start by saying that I am not the greatest at managing my nerves and anxiety. (laughs) And that was definitely (laughs) something that I struggled with in kind of the whole LSAT process. So I think I'm trying to remember exactly what my kind of study schedule looked like the week before the test. But if I remember correctly, I didn't take a practice test the week before the test because I was using practice tests kind of just like as a way to keep my mind fresh, at least when I took it the second time. And the first time I was taking practice tests to gauge where I was. And so I felt like if I took a practice test the week before the test and it didn't go well, I would totally mess with my head. And taking the practice test itself wasn't going to help me improve my score. So it seemed like a lose-lose situation, right? Like, I guess theoretically, if it went really well, it would have helped boost my confidence. But at that point, I had had enough scores on practice tests that I felt really excited about that I didn't feel like I needed that. I'm pretty sure I didn't take a test the entire week before the test for both tests that I took both in April and in June. And I spent the week before the test trying to, well, so when I took it in April, I spent the week before the test like trying to relax. I did a lot of, you know, yoga and I went for a lot of runs and I spent a lot of time like hiking with my family and things like that, just trying to kind of stay calm. And I would do a few practice problems every day, maybe like a time section or two a day, but I didn't do a ton of really intense studying. The second time I took it, I tried to do that, but I was working on a campaign and the week before the test was the primary election. So I actually didn't have a ton 
ton of time to relax. And so I was like working a lot, really not studying at all, which I think might have even helped because it meant that I wasn't just sitting around thinking about the test. I was really focused on something else. <laughs> too busy. Too busy to right, be Right, exactly. I was out. too busy to worry. Exactly. <laughs> Don't worry about the LSAT. Stress out about something else. Did your candidate win? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was working for Phil Murphy, who is the governor of New Jersey. And we actually didn't have a primary challenger. But like, it was still a stressful week because like we were trying to figure out who was going to win the Republican primary. So it was a very stressful week, even though we weren't actually mounting a challenge. Gotcha. Okay. And what would you turn this around? What would you tell, you know, someone who is uh, wondering what they should do the week before? So I said this earlier, I will say it again, stay off Reddit for the love of God, stay off Reddit. It can be really helpful when you're studying and trying to like ask questions and get advice and all that kind of stuff. But when you're just using it to see what other people are doing and hear about other people's testing experiences, all it's going to do is stress you out. So I would say biggest piece of advice is stay off Reddit. I think my second piece of advice would be, I would say don't take a test. I think that worked really well for me. Obviously, if you haven't had quite as much time to study and you don't feel quite as ready, it might be good to get as many practice tests in as you can. And so if you need to take one like the week before, that could potentially be a good move depending on kind of your own studying. But I would say across the board, my general advice would be don't take a test the week before your actual test. And I think creating problem sets that focus really specifically on the areas that you feel weak, but also creating some problem sets that you think you'll do really well on just to kind of like give yourself a little bit of a boost of confidence. So I would kind of mix in problem sets that are like all five-star games and then do one that's all one-star games. You're still practicing. It's still benefiting you, but it's giving you kind of that like, I got this, you know, I'm confident. I know what I'm doing. So I think that just kind of mixing in like targeting the areas that you want to do some really focused last minute studying on and mixing that in with just problem sets that are going to keep your brain fresh, but give you some confidence and feel good going into the test would be my recommendation. And then I think the biggest thing, which is always the biggest thing, is take care of yourself and try not to spend all of your time thinking about the test. So if you are somebody who likes to exercise, build that in 100%, maybe even more than you normally do, right? Make sure you're doing all the things that you enjoy doing. If you're someone who really likes to journal, make sure you're doing that. There should never be a time going into the test when you are not making time for the things that keep you sane and that help you to perform at your best. So that means sleeping. It means exercising. It means eating foods that are going to keep you energetic and thinking well and all that kind of stuff. So I would say those are some of my biggest tips. I think just generally like be your best self in every sense of the word for the week before the test because that means you'll perform the best on test day. Nice. Okay. And then what about the day before and the day of? Maybe even the night before and the day of? So day before, I am pretty sure I did no studying. I think I just decided to relax and enjoy myself. Um, I know the night before the second test I took, my boyfriend and I went to our favorite restaurant and we had a delicious meal and didn't think about it at all and just kind of like had a fun night and obviously going to sleep early and all those good things that keep your brain happy. But I also think that it's... Sorry, did you have trouble falling asleep or is that not an issue for you generally? I expected to. And surprisingly, I, you know, the second time I actually, I didn't have trouble falling asleep, but I woke up in the middle of the night and had a really hard time falling back asleep. Okay. But I didn't have a ton of 
trouble falling asleep either time, I don't think. I always warn people about changing their routine up too much. So if you're someone who normally goes to bed at 2 a.m., don't try to go to bed at 9 p.m. the night before the test because you're just going to lay there worrying about the fact that you can't fall yeah. asleep, right? Oh, like, I totally agree. Totally agree. Like, follow it. your normal routine. So if you normally go to bed at 2, go to bed at 2. Like, make that part of your routine. Yeah. Although, if you can help it, I would suggest pushing your bedtime up maybe like an hour or two. Is this still in the morning or is it, or do you get to take it like whenever you want? You can take it whenever you want, which I think is another big piece of advice is take it when you... You typically take practice tests. So I would always take practice tests like mid-morning. And so I just scheduled my test for, I think I took it at like 1130 or something like that. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. So schedule it for when you are most awake and fresh. Right, exactly. And what about the day of? Day of. I made sure to get like a little bit of movement in. So I think both times I took it, I went for like a long walk with whoever I was with at the time. The first time I took it at my mom's house. The second time I took it at my boyfriend's house to avoid the internet issues I had the first time. <laughs> so I went for a walk with them and like just kind of talked and about things that were not LSAT related to make sure that I was just kind of like avoiding thinking about it too, too much. Then I ate a really hearty, good breakfast. But I made sure to do it maybe two hours before I actually took the test because I wanted to make sure I had time to digest and everything. And I don't know if other people would recommend this. I always found it to be really helpful was I would take like one or two one to two star logic games because I always found with game and maybe a couple of LR questions, but I always found that with games specifically and sometimes with LR, I really need time to warm up. The first couple questions I do of a study session are never going to be as good as the ones that I'm doing after I've done 20 problems. I think that that was always something I did was do a couple of easy ones. I don't even know that I looked at the answers because I didn't really want to know if I got them right or not. I just kind of did them just so I my brain was like thinking in that way. And I did that maybe 30 or 45 minutes before I took the test. And then in the like, you know, 15, 10 minutes as you're watching the clock on Proctor U countdown, I sat, made sure I had my pen and my scratch paper, my water and everything that I needed and just kind of like did some deep breathing, some I tried to meditate, although that's not really my thing. I also, this is mildly embarrassing, but both times I listened to the song in the Legally Blonde, the musical soundtrack where she gets her fantastic LSAT score back and tried to like <laughs> manifest an Elwood's moment for myself. So I think like that, like listening to music that's going to pump you up, that kind of stuff, right, is helpful. So yeah, I think that was kind of my morning of the test routine. Awesome. Claire scored a 179 on her June 2021 LSAT. She is a seven-stage tutor and a future law student, probably at Yale. You can reach out to her on our discussion forum at sevensage.com slash discussion. Claire, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks so much, JY. This was really fun. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you got some good advice out of this episode. If you're prepping for the LSAT, applying to law school, studying for your law school exams, or studying for the bar, Come visit us at 7sh.com. We can help. That's it for this episode. Take care of yourself and see you next time.